Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. And our other co-pastor, in case especially any of you those in person were wondering, because, you know, Bill White is a presence when he is, is he, he is in a space, right? You're like, where is Bill this morning? Well, there are I'm over things. here! The first answer is that because of this current, you know, Omicron surge we're going through, Bill and I had already made the decision that we were going to split up on Sundays for the next season, right? I mean, we are one community worshiping together in two different spaces. That's kind of what we've said this whole time as we've shifted into a hybrid model, right? Like we have an in-person space, and then we also have an online space, and as much as possible, we try to link the two. Like, I don't know if you guys in person, how many of you, you know, are sometimes online, but you know there's a camera watching you right now, right? Because our, our Zoom friends, they told us really early on, we want to see people, right? We don't want to feel like we're just kind of like off on our own. We want to see our friends who are there in person too. And so we're trying to make it, you know, as connected as we can be. Well, we decided that during this, this current surge, knowing that quite a few more people were probably going to be online on a given Sunday, um, just for whatever reason, exposure, I know some of us are ill, this weekend, you know, that we really wanted one of our pastors to be dedicated to that online space. Now the question was going to be, were Bill and I going to have to like arm wrestle or something, right, to figure out who was going to be where, like on the first Sunday before we started our rotation? I actually think I could have had a shot uh, if that had been the case. <laughs> Sorry, Bill, but I'm just saying, you know, I, I it's not fair that she's got a mic and I have um, to try to break. But here. as it turned out, Bill actually did get struck down with COVID. Um, now, this was not, he actually was doing okay this week physically. Uh, it was a bit of a rough week. I think you can imagine, those of you who know Bill, right? It was a bit of a rough week to have to be by himself so much. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm here in person this morning, and I am actually giving a sermon on solitude and dedicating it to Bill. <laughs> right? And the reality is, I, I know... I mean, some of you actually are here this morning, and I know you've recently had your period of enforced solitude. I can look around, and I, I know some of the faces, right, that you've, you've had to be in quarantine recently. Um, and others of us, we're on Zoom right now because you actually, well, this is your current reality. Either you're ill and getting over it, you've been exposed uh, at work. This is, this is just kind of how things are going right now. And others of us, we haven't gotten sick yet, and we know it's coming. Um, we're doing our best to stay healthy while we can, but but realistically, this is just this is just the season we're in. So so it does actually seem like a good Sunday to be thinking a little bit about solitude, the kind that we choose and the kind that chooses us. And it's actually going to be uh, the kickoff to a sermon series about relationships. So if you think that sounds a little bit odd, okay, you're going to talk about relationships like with people. But you're going to kick it off talking about solitude. Well, that's what we're going to get into. How do the two things relate? What's the relationship between the me when what we really want to talk about is we? How do we, how do we navigate between those two things? I sounded really cool there for a second. Yeah, there was, there was something pretty funky going on there for a second. Um, so we're going to be looking at a pretty traditional passage from the book of Philippians, because Philippians is what's going to be leading us through this whole uh, series on relationships. It actually has this little, you know, sometimes you got to love the subtitle, Building Relationships That Sustain Us. I'm like, oh yeah, I want some of that. 
Um, but yeah, we're going to be looking at a little passage that traditionally, you know, is about contentment, but we're going to be looking at it through this lens of relationships and particularly what they might have to say to us about solitude. So as we get started, uh, I want to read to you uh, a little clip from uh, a book by a woman named Tish Harrison Warren. She's a, a minister uh, who, who writes a lot about how do we find the holy in our everyday lives. And so she shares this. A fascinating and somewhat disturbing study out of the University of Virginia showed that given the choice, many preferred undergoing electric shock to sitting alone with their thoughts. Okay. Study participants were exposed to a mild shock, which they all reported they didn't like and would pay money not to undergo again. But when left alone in an empty room with a shocker button just available to them for up to 15 minutes and removed from all other distractions, unable to check their phones or listen to music, two thirds of the men and a quarter of the women in the study chose to voluntarily shock themselves rather than just sit in silence. Dr. Tim Wilson, who helped conduct the study, said, I think this could be why, for many of us, external activities are so appealing, even at the level of the ubiquitous cell phone that so many of us keep consulting. The mind is so prone to want to engage with the world, it will take any opportunity to do so. Wow. I mean, what would you do to avoid sitting alone with your thoughts. And in this season where many of us, we don't have very many uh, options, these times of isolation, solitude, loneliness, whether it's because we're actually, you know, have to stay in a room, stay inside our house, or even just loneliness in the midst of a crowd. These are real things that all of us navigate, we wrestle through. This restlessness with ourselves, with our own thoughts, with our, our kind of big questions, who am I in this world? And so let's get into it. Our friend Patrick Pettinato is going to read scripture for us this morning. So would you welcome him up here with me? And if you wouldn't mind, if you're here in person and you just want to stand up in honor of God and God's word uh, at home, you know, feel free to stay comfortable. But if you really want to stand, you can. Hi, everyone. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned in the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4, 12, 13. People of God, this is the word of God. And thanks, Patrick, for reading. All right, so a lot of times, I think when this verse, these couple of verses are read in churches, the filter you tend to put these things through is probably around maybe money, right? I know what it is to be in want, to have need, to have plenty, but I've learned the secret of being content. Um, it, it seems a little bit about those material sorts of things. And this morning, we're kind of taking it in a different direction. Uh, we're saying, no, what about in terms of your relationships? I know what it is to be lonely, and I know what it is to have more friends than I know what to do with, and yet I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether, you know, feeling well-loved or feeling isolated. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
I don't actually think it's too much of a stretch to think that this may actually have been part of what the writer of these verses, the Apostle Paul, may have been thinking about. Because you know who he was writing this from? Prison. That's, that's where Bill thought he was this week. Um, he was writing it from prison. He was actually isolated. There had been seasons in his life where he was immersed in community. He had more friends, more status, more power than he knew what to do with, more than was good for him at times. And now he's in a situation where all of that is not true. And yet he's able to say, somehow I figured out how to be content. And it has something to do with Jesus. So as I was looking at this, as I was thinking about this, I was actually thinking about Jesus and the ways that Jesus knew what it was to have plenty in terms of relationships. And Jesus knew what it was to have few. He knew it in those seasons where it was not his choice. I mean, think about the experience of going to a cross and all the disciples falling away, right? No, I don't know him. And he also knew, though, what it was just to choose solitude. And I think that's the part that intrigues me the most as we're looking at this this morning. That in this season where, yeah, we're all sort of getting forced into solitude at times, and some of us would rather be shocked with electricity than be in that situation, Jesus actually made it a regular practice to go and to experience solitude. Um, here are a couple situations where we see that. There's a passage in Luke 5 where it says, the news about Jesus was spreading farther and farther. And so large crowds are gathering around to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So people who just, man, they're hungry, spiritually, physically, they're needy, they're sick, they want healing. I mean, talk about a space that a young preacher, a young miracle worker, somebody who wants to do good in the world, should be just like thrilled to be in, right? This is, this is what he's there for. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So you have this like picture, right, of like all these people are constantly coming. And yet somehow Jesus would be like, hey, look over there. <laughs> He'd slip away. <laughs> I mean, he knew they wanted him. And sometimes he'd just say like, yeah, no, <laughs> need a break. I need a break, I need rest. And it wasn't just for himself. It wasn't just for himself. It's what he would actually encourage the people he was training up, the people who were following him, like, man, Jesus, we want to we do what you do. We want to be part of what you're doing. And he would say to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Because there's so many people going back and forth. You don't even have time to eat. So you need to slip away with me. Come. Let's actually embrace some solitude. Let's be alone. Let's be quiet. I mean, this, this is curious to me. Because when we think about Jesus, and Jesus is not only showing us what God is like, God in the flesh, but as Jesus shows us God in the flesh, he's really actually showing us what it means to be fully human. The most perfectly, fully, flourishingly, which is not a word, humor, <laughs> human, <laughs> that we could be, I mean, this is, this is the full picture. This is the big picture. And somehow solitude, somehow silence, somehow rest 
has to fit into that picture, gets to fit into that picture. Maybe we should play with that word gets. It's not so much a should as it is how you get to. You know, there's a, an awesome uh, Instagram account a woman named Trisha Hersey has. It's called The Nap Ministry. Have any of you ever seen The Nap Ministry on Instagram? I'm seeing a few nodding heads, right? And the tagline is, rest is resistance. There's something fully human in, in a world that in so many ways wants to dehumanize us, wants to make it all about our work and our productivity, um, all these other ways, even just in terms of, you know, if we're a person of color, right? A queer person, all these other ways that, that the world can attempt to dehumanize us. It says that, no, be human, embrace your humanity, and that includes rest. So I think that was part of what Jesus was doing, right? I mean, at a very just kind of basic level, we can say, why did Jesus put such emphasis on, on solitude? on taking these times where you just get to go away and you get to be alone with your own thoughts and and yeah the community will be there when you get back now there's a piece where it's just hey it's just what it means to be fully human but i'd actually like to dig into it a little deeper the very first time we see jesus doing this in his ministry um it, it wasn't like a little rest right it wasn't just like a short cat nap um, anybody know how long the first time Jesus did this, like how long of a break he took? Yeah. 40 days, right? This is like, he's kind of just in some ways, he's, it's not maybe his full sort of launch. Maybe it was like a soft launch. I think I'm going to use that language, right? He had sort of like a soft launch. He went out and he, he met up with his cousin down at a river and his cousin was baptizing people and and Jesus gets baptized. But there was this sort of like revealing moment for everybody around because in the midst of this baptism, there's this sort of miraculous moment where there's this experience of God breaking through and God's voice saying, this is my son whom I love, my child who I call beloved, and with him I am well pleased. And then immediately what happens after that when you would think like, wow, this is almost like, like an anointing, right? Like it's like, you're ready. You're ready, Jesus. He goes off into the wilderness for 40 days. I mean, this is not strategic in so many ways, right? Like you have your soft launch and then you're just like, yeah, I think I'll just shut it down for a little bit. I mean, like our friends over at Wrigley Coffee, they're currently in their soft launch phase, right? Where they're like inviting some people from the community in and hey, little bits, right? And because they're planning on launching at the beginning of February, this little free advertisement for them because we think they're awesome. Um, it would not be strategic for them to take February off, right? <laughs> After all of this buildup, but this is what Jesus does. So he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days of this solitude and rest. And he's actually fasting the entire time as well. So he's not eating. And in the midst of this, this wilderness, this solitude experience, he has three kind of profound experiences with the forces of evil represented in the story by the person of Satan. That the devil is coming and the devil is, is tempting him in these wilderness experiences. And we're not going to go like 
super into depth looking at all the passages. Though if you'd like to, Matthew 4 is one of the places you could go and you could, you could read through this story. But, but these three experiences of temptation, they actually maybe have a lot to tell us about why sometimes we'd rather be shocked with you know, painful volts of electricity going through us. Um, because these are the sorts of temptations we actually experience when we find ourselves in solitude. So it kind of starts more normal and sort of builds up in weirdness and fantasticalness, you know, as they go. But the first is just, you know, the devil can say, you're hungry. You're hungry. Why don't you, why don't you change these stones into bread? And Jesus says, no, I'm beloved. Remember, God had told him he was beloved. And then, and I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, um, but then Satan says, okay, well, what if I take you to the top of the temple where everybody can see how amazing you are, and then to show how really, really amazing you are, you throw yourself from the temple, and God sends his angels to rescue you. I mean, like, wow. And Jesus says, no, I don't need to do that. I'm beloved. And then the third temptation, Jesus, what if I take you up to a mountaintop? And I show you all the nations of the whole world. I show you those will all be yours. You'll be in charge. You're going to lead all of them, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm beloved. I'm beloved. So what's going on in all of these things? There's this wonderful um, kind of old school Christian writer. Some of you may have read his stuff, Henry Nouwen. Uh, just very, very thoughtful, um, especially about the life of prayer and solitude, these sort of mystical um, ways that we connect with God. And he, he reads this and he says, you know, these are all the temptations that all of us experience. You know that, make it, you know, just rescue yourself. Be productive. Be productive. Turn the stones into bread. And I think, yeah, some of us, we don't know how to rest because we think we need to be productive all the time. How will anybody value us? How can we prove our worth in the world if we're not doing, doing, doing? And we can, you know, show, hey, we made all these things. We did all these things. Here's our to-do list, and it's all checked off. Got to be productive. And then for others of us, it's that, hey, I'm going to take you to the top of the temple, and people are going to see how awesome you are. It's your popularity. It's the sense of like, you have this presence and connection. And do I even know who I am if I don't have that? If people aren't reflecting back to me all the time who I am, do I know who I am anymore? Maybe not. Or maybe it's that, that temptation to power. You can have it all. You can be in charge. You can have control of it all. We probably don't resonate with all of them. There may be one that really sticks out to you. For me, it's definitely productivity. There is this part of me that I think really early on said, I'm not going to need people so much as I'm going to show everyone just how self-reliant I am, right? Like that's, that's just going to be my thing. That's how I show up and I just earn my way in the world is by just, just how much I can do. That's my temptation, right? Now here's what's really tricky though. When you think about what it is that tempts you, and you think like, this is what gives me worth, it's not just that God says I'm beloved intrinsically in who I am. What tempts you away from that 
in maybe small and subtle but real ways, do you tend to reflect that back to other people? This is what gives you worth in the world. This is what you need to do if you're going to get my respect, if you're going to get my love, for me to treat you with human dignity. I was talking with someone just this week, and um, you know, it was, it was a very honest, sweet conversation. And so he, he was just being honest. He was just being honest. But there's a sense of he was just like, yeah, you know, maybe I'm hard on people. I think my team would say that. Yep, yep, maybe I'm hard on people. But man, like, I'm so much harder on myself, right? Like, and, and I'm, I'm just this hard on myself. And I thought, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, I hear that. Does that make it okay? Or does it illustrate the actual root of the problem, right? Yeah, you are that hard yourself like what might actually change in your life if you believed you were worthy of gentleness right like if you actually thought there's just a god of the universe looking at you saying beloved 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 and yeah you could still do your work in the world but from this this posture of Man, I, I get to do it because it's good. I get to do it because it's joyful. All these good motivations, right? Instead of, I do it because this is how I prove my worth. I do it because some invisible internal force is kind of holding a whip to my back, right? And so part of me thinks that's what I'm supposed to do with others as well. Jesus, every time these temptations were passed to him, all right, I'm paraphrasing it. He doesn't look at the devil and just say, I am beloved. But that's why that, that's why that story is there right before he goes into the wilderness, because that's the subtext every time he pushes back. The subtext every time he pushes back is, your words mean nothing to me because I know who I am. I know who God is, and I know God loves me. I am beloved. I'm beloved. So no, I don't have to find my identity in those twisted ways. I don't have to approach community in those twisted ways. I'm free to go back and engage people. Jesus is going to start his mission in the world from that place of freedom and belovedness. And that's actually what we get to do as well. So now in sums it up this way, why is it so important that solitude come before community well, if we don't know that we are the beloved sons and daughters, the children of God, we're going to expect someone in the community to make us feel that way, and they can't. <laughs> I was thinking, I had this little flashback, you know, as I was, I was reading that quote um, of a metaphor that my mom gave me when I was really little. Um, but it was the whole, she talked about the holy bucket. Not holy like, you know, oh, he, the bucket's so holy, um, but like the bucket has a hole. Um, <laughs> so she would talk about the holy bucket and the sense that each of us has this bucket that love comes into. But if our bucket has a hole, like it just, it never gets filled. It doesn't matter how much gets poured in. If there's a piece of us that's just hurt and damaged and it leaks right back out. 
And I think that's, that's what Jesus is inviting us to. He's saying, man, I, I, need, I need that wholeness to know that I'm beloved so that I can I experience it and I can actually give it out to others as well, right? That we have to start from this, this place of actually knowing and experiencing our own belovedness, our own wholeness um, in the world. And that's really, I mean, that's how this passage in Philippians sums it up as well. How is it that the Apostle Paul is able to exist in both plenty and in lack? Well, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, through the one who calls me beloved. I'm so excited this morning. We're going to get to hear a story from uh, a wonderful person among us, uh, Joseph Vizi. Uh, and so if you guys could welcome Joseph up with me, uh, he has, he's got some pretty awesome things to share. Um, so Joseph, as we start, like, what's your level of nervousness here? A 10. Okay. All right. So that means everybody be super gentle. Um, but Joseph and I had a chance to talk earlier this week. And yeah, I, you know that I think your story is pretty amazing. So I'm really grateful to you for sharing. So we'll start with an easy one. Just how long have you been around City Church? How did you get connected in the first place? So I've been here for about six months. Um, Patrick, he actually uh, knows someone that also came here, so he had referred us, and um, yeah, so I've been here for about six months, and uh, somebody referred us here. Awesome, awesome, and you've gotten pretty connected over the last six months, right? Like I a little have, yeah. small group that was meeting at Bill's house, and yeah, yeah. I feel like you've made some friends. Yeah, it's, uh, we've, I think like after the first week of being here, I was having dinner at Bill's house, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like uh, maybe a month later, we started a Bible study, yeah, that has been going on pretty consistently since then. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, I know, so some of the people in your small group have had a chance to hear a little bit more of your kind of full story, but others of us haven't. So this is sort of the, the gift and the opportunity. So I know your story has some overlaps with this, this idea of community and solitude, but how about you just share with us the way that it works for you? Sure. Um, so I was, what, uh, what I was sharing with Breno was, you know, I come from a very, uh, I come from a, Catholic, a Catholic household. I went to Catholic school for 12 years of my life. Um, and <laughs> we heard a little woo woo yeah. in the audience here. And, you know, but being in Catholic school, it's not much of a community. It's more of just, you know, you're with your friends and you're just going through the motions. You go to religion class and uh, I never really had a church community. So when I graduated, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to find that. And, uh, you know, but a few years after I graduated, I, I came out. And so that uh, made me nervous. You know, it made, I didn't know what that meant for me. And I didn't know if I did go into a community, if that would, you know, change things. And, but I, I really wanted to be in a church community. I wanted to get connected. And um, so I, I did that. I, you know, I dove right into a community where I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the church, but it was a Christian church that I had never, I had never been a part of a Christian church. I knew nothing about it, but it was, you know, everyone seemed really great, really welcoming, really nice. And um, for those of you that have never been to a Christian church, like the worship is 
awesome. <laughs> and so everyone is really nice. And the church that I had went to it was very small. So the whole community, everyone knew each other. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was great going in. And but the thing that was hard for me was I was still trying to figure out who I was. Yeah. You know, I had come out, but I was still, you know, I had really strong faith in God and I didn't know what that meant. And so I was always going back and forth. Uh, but, you know, I came out to some people at the church and, you know, they seemed very welcoming at first. And so I stood there and I was really, really connected there for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I mean, when I say that I was in their community, I mean, it was like Bible studies three times a week, church, church twice a week. Um, every day it was something, you know, and um, I never really had any time to myself. So I, you know, I was just, that's just who I was at that point. Um, but then I started seeing like a lot of what I'll call red flags, you know. Um, there was a point where there were things that I started questioning and I wanted answers to um, because I was just, I was learning so much. You know, I had never really like studied the Bible, um, you know, in religion classes in high school and everything else that I had been involved in. It was, you know, we would learn about the love of God and how much he loves you and the Ten Commandments and, um, you know, and just communion and what that means and but it was never really uh, you know it, the bible was never really we never practiced reading it what it meant so you know i i did that i learned a lot about the bible and basically how god viewed me as like this this sinner and how you know if i continued on with this path i was going to go to hell and so i was you know i was really distraught about it so at the time, I was being discipled by someone. I was in this, they had like a discipleship, and I... And for someone who doesn't know that term, right, it's kind of like a one-on-one sort of yeah. relationship. Somebody's supposed to be sort of teaching you. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's yes, yeah, so you have a disciple, and they're kind of teaching you the way they teach you about the Bible, uh, what it means. Um, you know, they translate the Bible for you. They go over different stories about the in, that's in there, and um, and so I... I was doing that for a while and you know when i started questioning things things started kind of getting a little bit uh out of hand but you know i there was a point when i was in the church when they teach you about tithing you know Mm -hmm. so like 10 percent of my paycheck was (laughs) going straight to the church every Mm -hmm. two weeks Mm -hmm. and then and then like you know they would guilt you into things you know well is it before taxes and like how much of a blessing do you really want do you really want like before taxes blessings or do you want just like 10% of what you're getting in your check blessings? And this is like, this is real things that are, are being said to me. So, you know, I... On behalf of churches everywhere, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I... But the other part of it was my disciple was not okay with me being gay. And I struggled with that because, you know, I I had already come out and I was out for a few years before I joined that church and so a lot of people like I was disconnected from them you know because I knew that I was trying to please my disciple and what he was trying to teach me and you know I I ended up in this course um, with some of the other people in my church that you know I had no idea what I was really walking into but my disciple had asked me you know go ahead and go to this class after church on Sundays okay so I show up and I call him and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm here. Where are you? He's like, oh, no, no, this course is for you. 
So just go ahead and show up and you know participate, be engaged. So, okay. And it was called uh, Identity in Christ, and I really didn't know what that meant, but mm -hmm. I. I showed up, I participated, and when I sat down and I'm looking around me at the others that are there with me, they, you know, we had a very similar walk. You know, they were also gay. We had shared that with one another, and it was not long before I realized that, like, this was a, a like, a, a pray the gay away type of a, a course, I guess you could call it. Yeah. And, um, but like I said, you know, I was so involved with the church, and I was so involved with my disciple that... I stood there and I listened and I was already convinced that like if I didn't change who I was then I was going to go to hell and yeah. so I think the final straw for me was feeling like you know being there made me feel being in that community made me feel very disconnected from my own family and my friends that I had already been there for me my whole life mm -hmm. because they would guilt me into you know not hanging out with them because mm -hmm. they were living in sin and they were trying to get me out of that. Right. So I think that was the final straw for me was one day I, you know, I was with my family and I didn't go to church. I chose to be with my family that day. And I, you know, they were texting me, telling me, you know, you're out there and you're drinking and you're around people that are drinking. So, you know, this just means that you're sinning and we've already gone over this. And I was just like, okay, this is where I draw the line, you know, and, and I had already been so, you know, torn about who I was as a person and um and so you know i i was i was depressed for a really long time you know there was other things happening in my life that i was just trying to deal with and um you know so i i left and when i when i left it it wasn't just like a clean break you know <laughs> i had to like disconnect from everything mm -hmm. Um, and so when I did, they also made me feel really guilty, you know, like, oh, well, you're going to just live in sin and you must be feeling guilty about something. That's why you're really leaving. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did it for myself and, and I did, I had to leave that church and, um, yeah, I resented God for a long time after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, during that time to circle back to, you know, what we're talking about, about solitude and the, you know, being... I guess, okay with me before I go into a, a community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really resented God for a long time after that. I resented the church for a long time after that. And I did so many things to try to find out who I was. You know, I studied like energy and I would go to like sound baths and just anything to try to be connected to like a higher power. But, um, you know, I, I mean, there was so many things that I had done to like try to just figure out who I was. And ultimately at the end of the day, um, my faith was, you know, my, my faith in God, you know, I guess like prevailed, you know, I, I just, I could not find anything like my relationship with God, you know, and, and I think it was just really important for me to take some time alone to figure out who I was figure out the things that I liked in my life, you know, just figuring out who I was in general. And before I actually stepped into another community where, um, you know, where I was going to be a part of this again, because, you know, it was, it took me a long time to figure out who that was. And I didn't want to go into another community where they were going to try to change me. Yeah. I wanted just, just to go somewhere where I was accepted and I felt loved. And I guess that's how I ended up here. <laughs> Do you think if you had come here and 
there had been like a weird red flag, like, a, you know, your first Sunday, like we had passed around a plate saying, hey, 10% before tax, right? Like, <laughs> do you think at this point you would have been able to like pretty quickly go up? Oh, I see that red flag and like leave this time. Because that feels like healing, oh, right? Yeah, I coming in, I knew that, I mean, I, for myself, have to put up boundaries, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, and slowly they'll be taken down and as I yeah. learn, but yeah, I definitely would have went running. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you use that word boundaries, right? Cause like boundaries are less about like, we're pushing other people back and it's more the sense of, I know who I am. Yeah. Right. I just, I know who I am. I know what I will accept and what I won't accept right. and take it or leave it, you know, a little yeah. bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to share that with other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to tell us some of just kind of like, what are some of the practices that nourish that sense of self for you these days? And, and you know what I want you to share. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after, you know, all of these years of trying to figure out who I was, um, you know, I did end up eventually, you know, coming out of coming out of depression. And but it took a really long time, you know, and it took me figure out, figuring out who I was. So even after um, even after all of that, you know, finally coming out of depression, figuring out who I was, I, I make it a point for myself to not forget how I got there. And um, what I shared with you was, you know, I think typically like what you think of on a Friday night is hanging out with your friends, getting ready after you get out of work, going and having a few drinks, having dinner with your friends. And um, I, what I've done and what I refuse to let go of is, on Friday nights after work, I'll, I'll just take myself out to dinner and I'll be with myself for a few hours because, you know, it's, then I'll reflect on, on the weekend um, and also reflect on like how far I've come because a few years ago, I would not have been able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't have been able to just be by myself for a few minutes with all my thoughts, but um, you know, I embrace that now mm -hmm. and I, I treat myself and I just, you know, I again embrace the time that I get by myself because I used to not be able to do that so man I want to celebrate that journey with you right now like I'm so glad that you have come to embrace the wonderful person that you are so thanks for being willing to share with everyone oh. such a good story Joseph um, how many of you are kind of going huh I could take myself to dinner Cheers to me at the end of a long week. It really is an incredible picture, the story that Joseph just shared, right? Of like, we are in all of these spaces that pull at us, that tell us who we are, tell us what we need to do, the same way that Satan was whispering in Jesus' ear, right? And there's so much of our growth as human beings, and also our ability to connect in community, to actually have healthy, sustaining relationships that is about our ability to say, this is who I am. I am not perfect, but beloved. Beloved at a foundational level. So, so how do we actually do that? We wanna get a little bit practical. Some of you may be terrified at the idea of trying to get still, calm, embrace some solitude for a little bit. And there, there's a reason, because it actually can be hard. I have a feeling if you asked Joseph, 
right? About some of that in-between time when he was practicing aloneness and yet still in the midst of depression, still working through all of these painful memories. I imagine there were some tears at times, right? I imagine there was a lot of pain that was confronted and eventually welcomed and processed, absorbed. Uh, another wonderful spiritual thinker, Parker Palmer, puts it this way, the freeing and healing discipline of solitude requires that we simply stay with it, confronting ourselves with patience, bearing the pain that comes as we withdraw our projections from the world and find their source in ourselves. As we do, solitude eventually offers a quiet gift of grace, a gift that comes whenever we are able to face ourselves honestly, the gift of acceptance, of compassion for who we are as we are. So, I mean, the invitation for this week in general, how could you actually do that? Uh, we had this wonderful time with some of our parents yesterday with this you know, incredible pastor uh, named Meredith Miller who was, who was talking with us, you know, about ways that we help our kids connect spiritually. Uh, and it was so fun because she was making fun of all these programs, you know, that just like, here's the one right way. And most of it has to happen at dinner time, despite the fact that, you know, many of our families like, when do we ever eat dinner together? It doesn't happen as often as everybody says it should. And people are cranky over dinner and yada, yada, right? But here's the one right way to do it. Well, in a similar way, like, what if there's not one right way to do solitude? And what if the way you do solitude could actually fit into the normal rhythms of your life? What if solitude could happen on your commute home after work? Or while you're washing the dishes? While you're taking a walk? Wherever those little, little corners of your life are, are there ways that we could dial down the distraction just a little bit, right? Make this doable, make this practical, but just say like, I'm here, self. I'm willing to listen for a little bit. I'm here, God. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to be here. Um, and yeah, okay, if, if you're commuting, you probably can't necessarily make it a treat for yourself the way that like, you know, Joseph takes himself out to dinner, right? Okay, but maybe you could put on a little relaxing music, you know, to somehow bring the heart rate down a little bit while you're navigating the freeways, right? Maybe you could light a candle while you're washing the dishes. Right? There are ways, simple, practical ways that we can say, this is, this is me showing up for myself right now. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, you're working by yourself all day in your house. You're, you're a Zoom worker right now. And you want to actually make yourself a little snack and turn it all off for five or ten minutes. Again, I'm just, I'm showing up for myself, approaching myself with kindness and compassion. For me, I'll admit um, that I tend to do solitude the best when my body is in motion. I find it a little hard to still my mind otherwise. So to take a walk, to do a little yoga, even doing the dishes, right? Those are things that help me um, to actually feel like while my body is in sort of, you know, don't have to think about it, motion, the rest of me can calm down. My soul can start to settle just a little bit. So these are some invitations, some things to think about. But as we close this morning,
for this part of the time. Uh, instead of doing, you know, sometimes we do a liturgy all together, a liturgical prayer, I thought it might be nice to actually take a few moments of silence and of stillness. So we're going to take a little breath prayer time together. Some of you have definitely done this before. For others of you, it might feel newer. Um, whether you're you know, here in person, feel free to just get as comfortable as you want to be at home, the same thing. Maybe you want to get extra settled. Uh, you can, those of you in person, if you want to move your chairs even, you're welcome. You're welcome to do that. But we're just going to take a few breaths. And as you breathe in, I want to invite you to either say or think the word beloved. You're breathing in your belovedness as a child of God. And as you exhale, the word I'm inviting you to focus on is enough. So in, beloved, out, enough. All right? Okay, feel free to shut your eyes if you'd like to. Keep them open, hands raised, whatever's comfortable for you. But let's take a few moments just to breathe. In, beloved. Out enough, beloved. Enough, beloved. Enough. <laughs> 